Hello, all you Elvis fans. This is Krista Joy, founder of TCBRadioNetwork.com. And I'm your co-host of TCB Radio Network and Elvis tribute artist, Peter Alden. Welcome to the TCB Radio Network podcast. Get ready for some Elvis content and news you can use where it's all Elvis all the time. We've got your interviews with authors, Elvis fan club presidents, artists, musicians, and of course, close personal friends of Elvis Presley, the people who knew him, the man himself. Thank you for tuning in. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. It's time for the TCB Radio Network Podcast. Hey there, we would like to thank Marion Cock for joining us today on TCB Radio. And Mary, just to get this all started, uh, we're going to ask a question I'm sure you've been asked many times, but were you always an Elvis fan? <laughs> That's so funny. I was never an Elvis fan until after I took care of him. And that's a, that's a funny story because we were sitting around talking one night and he said, um, Miss Cock, have you been to any of my shows? And I said, no, honey, I never was a fan of yours. And he sort of leaned back in his chair and his eyes got real big and he said, well, hell. <laughs> I probably wasn't used to that answer. <laughs> and I said, I am now, but I know you now. And um, so that was, that was, that, I guess I'd been with him probably a month by the time that happened, taking care of him about a month. And, but I just told him, no, honey, I never was. I'm sorry, but now that I know you, I, I certainly am. <laughs> I, I told Priscilla that story one night and she got a big kick out of it too. Well, as Krista said, he probably wasn't used to that answer. <laughs> I don't think he was, not by the way he looked and those eyes got so big. <laughs> well, you almost sort of kind of had two first chance meetings with Elvis. Can you tell everybody about the first two times you met him? Well, you know, the first time I ever met Elvis was when he was probably 21 or 22, and he had broken his finger playing touch football. And when he came to the hospital to have his finger fixed, of course, it being Elvis, they admitted him. So I was doing private duty nursing at the time because Katie was little and I could pick and choose my own hours and days I worked. And um, I came out of my patient's room about the time he came out of his room. And the funny thing is we walked down the hall together and had a conversation the entire time we walked down the hall and I could not tell you for one minute what we talked about, nor did I even remember it. Mm -hmm. And then after I um, started taking care of him, and that's, that's sort of a funny story too, because Dr. Nick came to me one day on my floor and he said, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. And so we got away from the desk and he said, Elvis is sick and I'm bringing him in the hospital and I want him on your floor. And I said, okay, I guess you want the suite. And he said, yes. And I said, well, it's not occupied, so I will put a hold on it and be sure that it's not taken. But when is he coming? And he said, he'll be here probably in a day or two, either tomorrow or the next day. He said, I'll call you 
when he gets here and when we start the hospital. And I said, okay. So I called the admission office and there was a lady down there named Sarah Edwards. And Sarah actually lived out in Whitehaven where Grayson is. And I said, Sarah, I've got something to tell you and do not say anything on your end of the phone other than yes or no. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay. So I told her, I said, Elvis is coming in the hospital in a couple of days and I'm going to put a lock on this suite and you've got to put something down there that says that the suite that's out of order or something or whatever you want to put, but put something on there so nobody comes and tries to give that suite away. And she said, yes, ma'am. And that's a good girl. So anyway, I locked it up and um, did not tell any of my staff he was coming. And I knew that when he was going to come, I was going to be the first one to know it anyway. So two mornings later, about four o'clock in the morning, I got a call that they were on their way to Baptist. And so I got up and got ready to go. And and when I got to the hospital, I parked in the parking lot across the street and and wondered if he was there. And, um, you know, it's really funny. When I walked through those doors that morning on the union side of the, of the building, I knew the minute I walked inside that door that he was there. You know, you've heard of static electricity. Yes. It was going completely through that building. So I went on up to the first floor on the escalator and went to the elevators and um, got the elevator to my floor and got off. And it was in the winter time. It was in January. He had just had his 40th birthday. And I got to the nurse's station and my night nurse said, Miss Cock, he's already here. And I said, yeah, I know he is. Mm-hmm. So I went on in my office and, and um, put my purse up and, and um, put my cap on and put my hot coat up and closed the door and went on down the hall to um, his room. And the closer I got to the door, the more excited I got. I thought, I'm going to really see this guy. <laughs> Still not remembering what I had, that I had met him 21 years earlier. Yeah, like you really weren't a fan at all. <laughs> uh, that's right. And then, and actually, I think Elvis was probably... I don't know whether he was dead by the time I remembered it or if I remembered it beforehand and told him about it. But of course he wouldn't have remembered it either. Yeah, he met so many people. Yeah, so, but anyway, um, I walked in that door and I saw him sitting on the bed and Linda was shaving him. He had a a beard. And uh, I don't know whether he had just finished making Charo because I never went to his movies. And so I don't know whether it was from a movie or just the fact that he had had not worked for, for a, a little while and, and had grown a beard. But Vernon was in there and Joe Esposito and one of the other guys, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Dick Grobe, but I'm not sure. And then, of course, Linda was shaving him. And so Dr. Nick started introducing me first to Joe and then to Vernon and then to Dick. And he said, and you know who this is? I said, yeah, I think I know who that is. And um, 
So in just a couple of minutes, the guys got up to all leave and said, well, we're going to leave so you can get settled down and, and um, um, meet each other, um, talk to each other for a little bit. So Joe, they started out of the room and Joe turned around and he said to Elvis, boss, we have to um, see about private duty nurses for you. And Elvis said, well, I'm going to talk to Miss Cock first, and then I'll, then we'll, t- then we'll decide. And he said, okay. So they left, and and Linda, she she left the room, and and uh, so it was just Elvis and me all day, and we sat there and visited, and uh, actually we watched that movie Brian's song on television, and uh, we both cried. And he cried, I think, probably more than I did. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. Yeah, it was. It really was. And But we did. We both sat there and cried. And I took his blood pressure and gave him his medication that he needed. And, and we just visited. I kept his ice water pitcher full because he drank lots of water. And um, so about 1 o'clock, he said, Miss Cock? What do you want me to do about private duty nurses? I said, Oh, I haven't forgotten it. I said, Oh, well, honey, whatever you want to do is is okay with me. And he said, Well, he said, If you want me to have private duty nurses, I will. But I want you to be the one to take care of me. And I said, Well, if I'm going to be the one to take care of you, you don't need private duty nurses. However, I won't be here 24 7. And I said, My 3 to 11 charge nurse can take care of you on that shift, and the 11 to 7 nurse can take care of you on her shift. So he was fine with that. So we never had private duty nurses from then on. And um, I started taking care of, I do have to tell you something funny about that though. I always watched um, Tony Orlando and Dawn. Yes. One day, and you know, let me say this first, I was responsible for 51 other patients. And I saw every patient on my floor twice a day. And I explained to Elvis, now this is what I'm going to be doing with you. I'm going to be taking care of you. I also have a responsibility to 51 other patients. I'm in charge of the floor and everything that happens. And I have to check every order on every patient that an order is written on. So I'm not going to be in here with you all the time. But when you need me, you call me and I will come. But I went in on my day off to take care of them. That's another story, too. I'll tell you that later. <laughs> but anyway, um, it, it, it all worked out so well. And, um, you know, my memory is very sharp where Elvis is concerned. But sometimes I forget what I was going to say if I change the subject. And then when I get ready to go back to it, I can't remember what it was I was going to say. <laughs> Um, we all have that. Yeah, I think I think we all have a little of that variant. 91 and a half years old, you're entitled to that. Absolutely, absolutely. So, anyway, but that was uh, that was exactly how I I first met Elvis. And um, oh, I know what I was going to tell you about with Tony Orlando. So I had gone in the next morning. I said, "You did you watch Tony Orlando and Don last night?" And he said, "No, ma'am, I didn't watch it." And so I'm puttering around the room there, and I'm singing under my breath, tie a yellow ribbon around the <laughs> And uh, finally he said, Miss Cock, 
I turned and looked at him. I said, what, honey? He said, you're taking the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and now we know why Elvis never recorded tie yellow ribbon around the old yeah. tree. <laughs> <laughs> I told that as a mafia union one day. And it about brought the house down. And George said, I never heard that story. And I said, I don't think I've ever told it before. That's funny. So so uh, it's safe to say that you were a bigger Tony Orlando fan. Well, you know, I liked his show. And I watched it every week. And um, just like I, I loved Dean Martin. When Dean Martin had a show, there's no way in the world I was going to miss Dean Martin. And, and Carol Burnett's show and some of those shows. Yeah. But I just happened to have seen Tony Orlando the night before and was just really not even aware, I guess, that I was humming it or singing it in Elvis's room. <clears throat> and, um, and and I, I guess that went on for maybe a minute or so, and that's what he said, Miss Cock. I said, what is it? You're taking the hell out of it. <laughs> 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 so, I never tried to sing in his room again, anything, because I didn't want to irritate him. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. This is a no singing zone in Elvis's room. I'll tell you, it was really, really something. Yeah. Now, you, you, you were taking care of Elvis, but you never actually accepted a salary from him. So can, <laughs> can you never, let never, us never. know about how that came about? Um. Well, he was um, he was um, going home after the second time in the hospital, and um, he, um, but, but Doctor Nick was in the room, and we were talking, and um, Doctor Nick said we've got to get nurses for him uh, to go home with him, and he needs private nurses. Uh, right now and um, so um, Elvis said I'm taking Miss Cock and I said well honey I, I really can't go home with you I I've got a job here and I'll call you uh, or I will um, you know I, I just can't do it and he said well he said, couldn't you do it for uh, a couple of weeks? And I said, well, is that all it's going to be? And he said, yeah, I think so. And um, I said, well, I've got to talk to uh, my husband and my daughter about it tonight. I can't just, you know, say I'll do this because they've got to have a say-so in it. And he said, well, will you talk to him tonight? And I said, yes, I will. And Dr. Nick said, Elvis, she really can't go with you. She's got a really big job here. And Elvis said, well, he said, if it's just for a couple of weeks. And I said, well, let me see. Just let me see what Bob and Katie have to say about it. So I um, talked to them that night at dinner. And Bob wanted to know how long. And I said, a couple of weeks. And Katie was thrilled to death. She had met him. And... Um, so, um, now was I, Katie was Katie an Elvis fan? <laughs> not really, but but knowing that he was as popular as he was, and 
and who he was. And she was excited. And she had met him because she came up on the floor one day. And I didn't let the, you know, the staff always wanted to go in and see him too. And I wouldn't let them because uh, you let one go in, you got to let them all go in. And he was not having visitors. And they called me when I was down in his room and said, your daughter's here and um, wants to see you. And I said, oh, well, I'll be out. And Elvis said, well, tell her to come down here. And I said, Elvis, I don't let my staff come in here. I can't let my child come in here. He said, well, I can. And he said, I want your daughter to come in here. And so she came in. She was home from, from college, and she came in, and, and she had on a real cute outfit. And she walked in, and she was tickled to death to see him. We were standing in the foyer, and he went right over and, and leaned over and kissed her on the cheek, and I thought she was going to faint. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, she really... You know, she was really taken with him. And so that was her first meeting. And then we had another plane ride with him further down the road that I'll tell you about later. And um, so she, uh, but she did get to meet him. And she was really tickled. So, but I told Bob, I said, I am not taking a salary from this guy. And he said, no, I don't want you to. So he said, well, it's okay if you're going to just be gone two or two and a half weeks. So I went in the next morning, Dr. Nick was in his room when I went in. And I said, the first thing he said when I walked in the door was, can you come? I said, yes, I can come for the two and a half weeks or whatever. And so uh, Elvis said, well, bring your social security card. And I said, why do you want to see my social security card? And he said, so you can be paid. And I said, I'm not going to take your money. I'll do what I can for you, and I'll take care of you as much as I can. But I'm not going to take your money. And he said, why the hell won't you take my money? Everybody else will. Mm. And I said, well, just count me out, fella, because I'm not taking your money. And um, so he said, well, okay, if that's the only way I can get you. And I said, that's the only way you can get me is no pay. And uh, I told the girl that was going to be 3 to 11 that I was not taking a salary from him. She said, I won't either. So neither one of us took a salary from him. She just was not there near as long as I was. She was there. Uh, she left after about after Thanksgiving because she worked. Uh, she went in in, my, in the morning. She was my 3 to 11 charge nurse on that floor. And she... Um, uh, went in and went to Grayson about 10 o'clock in the morning and left about 2.30 in the afternoon to relieve me. And um, then I would go home and cook dinner for my family and go out to Graceland. And Lisa and I were roommates. Oh, that's funny. But, uh -huh. I'm he had, he, he had a, a, a day bed moved into Lisa's room and... <clears throat> And uh, he said, now, this is a day bed for Lisa, and I want you to sleep in her bed. I, I said, well, I, re I really prefer the day bed. No, 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 I want you to sleep in, the, in her bed. You can, uh, she can sleep on the day bed. So I really didn't want to sleep in it, but that night I got in that bed, and it had sort of a carousel-like type at the top. You know, I had a big top over and everything. I got in that bed and got settled down, and I looked up, and there was a some woman looking down at me <laughs> during mirror in the ceiling of it oh that's and I funny got out of that bed like white on rice and i grabbed the cover off that bed and that pillow and i got over there on that day bed and i never crawled back on that 
around dead again. <laughs> I mean, on that day bed. But uh, anyway, that was my first time there. But it was a lot of fun, you know, and two and a half weeks ran to two and a half years. And I still never accepted a salary. See, that's what's amazing to me. Not only did Bob let you go stay or help take care of a celebrity like Elvis, but he accepted that you didn't want money for it. I think most husbands would have been like, you know. Yeah, if you're going to do this, I want you to get paid. Yeah. Well, but, you know, he didn't want me to take the money either. He's just a great guy. He was very, he was very adamant about that. Yeah, he didn't want me to take the money either. And I said, I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't know. If I had had to take money from him, I would have said, no, I won't do it again. And they always asked me, he said, when he said, why the hell won't you let me, won't you take my money, everybody else? Well, I said, well, I think it's, it wouldn't hurt if somebody did something for you once in a while without money. Aww. And, you know, a lot of times people ask me, what's the nicest gift he ever gave you? <laughs> what's the very nicest gift Elvis Presley ever gave you? And we were sitting up in Lisa's room one night, which is where we sat every night. Never in his room, always in Lisa's room. Whether she, whether she was there or not, she was never. If she was there, she wasn't in the room. Whether she was out playing, but um, he reached over and he put his hand on my knee and he said, "Miss Cock," and I said, "It was so serious." And I said, "What is it, honey?" And he said, "You are one of the few people I know." who has never asked anything of me but friendship. And that is the nicest gift that Elvis ever gave me. Wow. And that's the only gift that I've never given away. Well, and I know you have tons and tons of great stories like that. It's probably hard to pick, but we were wondering if you have a favorite Elvis story. Oh, golly, I've got... <laughs> So many favorite Elvis stories. Let me see. Um, we got lots of time. You can tell more than one. <laughs> well, you know, uh, oh, uh, oh, the funniest one. I'll tell you the funniest one first. Um, we, he would come in, El in Lisa's room at night, and, and I would always sit on the day bed. And he had a big leather chair in there, and had, he had had a new television set put in there. And um, so, so he was ready for, for coffee. So I called downstairs and asked Maggie if she would bring our coffee up to us. And she always knew to bring two cups. And um, so she brought our coffee up to us. And I always fixed his coffee. He said he never could get it fixed right. And I didn't drink, uh, didn't put sugar in my coffee. But I saw, had seen how much Bob put in his. So I put in the same amount in Elvis's and the cream. And, and he said, well, you're going to have to fix my coffee every every time I drink it because this is good. <laughs> and um, so I always would go over when he finished drinking coffee and was ready for another cup if there was a little bit in there or not. I always took the, the, um, the uh, cup over to the little sink over the refrigerator in the room and rinsed it out with hot water. And so... Um, but Maggie came in and brought the coffee, and she started out the door, and she was a light-skinned black girl, and she's a real sweet girl, and he said, Maggie, I swear you've got the biggest ass I have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and I about fell off that day bed laughing, and he was laughing too. And Maggie's face was red, and she was laughing also. And so we finally pulled ourselves together. Maggie ran out of the room still laughing. And we sat there, and I'd never heard him say anything like that. So in a few minutes, he was, his coffee cup was empty, so I picked it up to take over to the sink. But instead of walking over to the sink, I backed over to the sink. <laughs> 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 He's not going to get a look at me. <laughs> yeah. I turned the spigot on and rinsed the cup out, and he said, Miss Cock, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and I said, you are not going to tell me that I've got the biggest ass you've ever seen. Well, his face turned beet red and he was stammering and stuttering and I said don't you sit there and lie to me boy I can tell by looking at you that's what you were thinking (laughs) (laughs) but oh golly I've got a banana pudding story and this kind of story and that kind of story and every kind of story imaginable (laughs) but I can tell you one thing for certain I loved him dearly and I will always love him well, that's obvious. And we're going to get into all of that and the things that you're doing for him to this day. Um, but I wanted to back up. You had a story about um, an airplane story, you said. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was a hoot. Um, got home from church one day, one Sunday, and about 3 o'clock that afternoon, uh, telephone rang, and it was Elvis. And he said, I want to go to... Uh, fly out to see the Lisa Marie can you get out here early can you come out here now and I said well yeah I can I can come on out now oh and of course he talked sort of loud and Katie was was right there by me and she said oh mother can I go and he heard her he said yeah bring Katie she can go too so Bob took us out there and um (coughs) no I drove out there I drove out there, I think. Anyway, we went out there and um, went on upstairs to Lisa's room, and he came in in a few minutes and, and said, uh, we're going to to uh, Dallas to see uh, the plane that they're getting ready to refurbish it, and we're going to go out and take a look at it. So I said, okay, that'd be fun. So. We went on, uh, got out to the airport, and went up in a in a plane. It was a small jet, I think, and um, so we flew to Dallas to uh, some little airport between Dallas and Fort Worth. And um, there was a crowd of people there. They they had let them know. I guess the people that worked there had let all their relatives know that Elvis was coming. And they had the fence there, and they were they were fenced off. But they wanted pictures and autographs, and he very graciously went over and signed some autographs and had some pictures made and everything. And so we went on in and looked at the plane. And um, and when we were ready to leave, well, actually, when we went in the plane, the only room that was complete was the conference room where the table and chairs were, the long table and chairs. But they had the material there to 
to do the covering of, of the furniture and then we went back into the bedroom and, and they had the bed in place and and nothing else was was done to it but but anyway they had the the basic things already set in there and so when we left the plane i went into the little office to call bob and say we're getting ready to leave here coming back to memphis and you can pick katie up at graceland in about probably about an hour and a half because i needed my car to get to work the next day and elvis came in just as i hung up and he said miss cock um we're not going right home we're going to vegas and i said elvis i have to go to work tomorrow morning i'll get you back so he said call your husband back so call bob back and i said just come for Katie when I call you and tell you we're going to Vegas. And um, he said, okay. So we got back in the plane and headed for Vegas. And I remember so clearly as we flew over the Grand Canyon, he said, Katie, come here and look, honey. And he looked and he said, man, how great thou art. How great thou art. And we flew on into Vegas and we were met there by uh, Dr. Gano, I think his name was. And he drove us to his home and we were there for about an hour. And in the meantime, Katie and I had not had anything to eat since we had gotten out of church. And it was like nine o'clock at night. And so we were headed back to the airport and uh, Elvis said, well, they should have the plane gassed up by now. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to have to gas Katie and me up or we're not going to make it back to Memphis because we're hungry. And he said, oh, there'll be some food on the plane. There'll be some food on the plane. I said, well, where are the guys? He said, they're, they're on the plane. They're on the plane. So we got back to the airport. Sure enough, the guys were on the plane. And we got in and we went on toward the back. And, and um, there on the table on the table we had been sitting at was a huge tray that was piled high with sandwiches and um, uh, diced up fruit and um, cookies and on the other table was just a tray full of fresh fruit and so we sat down and the four of us there was not even a scrap of lettuce left <laughs> on that tray between elvis and linda and katie and me there was not one scrap of food left on that tray. Wow. <laughs> and so we um, were sitting there talking and pilots were in place. And Elvis said, have you ever been to Palm Springs? And I said, no, I've never been to Palm Springs. He said, well, I think we'll go. I want to show you my house. I said, Elvis, I have to go to work in the morning, honey. <laughs> I have to go to work in the morning. He said, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to get you back. So he got on the little thing there and he called the pilot. And he said, let's go to Palm Springs. So he said, we're almost going to have to go over my house just to turn this darn plane around. So we're going to go. I want you to see my home up in the hills. So we turned and we went to Palm Springs. And we got off the plane and Dick Grove was with us that night. And Dick got off the plane and went in and talked to somebody and borrowed a station wagon. That's when they had station wagons. You know, they don't have them anymore. Right. And so he borrowed a station wagon. Elvis and Linda and 
Katie and me and all those guys piled up in that one station wagon and headed up into Chino Canyon and went in the house. And, um, you know, you've heard the story that Elvis would shoot out television sets once in a while or mm -hmm. this, that, and the other. Yeah. So we went in and, and uh, into the foyer, and he said, come on, I'm going to show you the house. So we turned to the right and started down the hall. In the first bedroom we went to, <laughs> there was a television set with a bullet hole in it. <laughs> <laughs> and Katie said, Mother, there's a bullet hole in that television set. I said, Hush, Katie. <laughs> he didn't respond. He acted like he didn't hear. So he went ahead and showed us the rest of that wing with the bedrooms and the bathrooms and everything. And then we turned and went back through the living room and the dining room and into the kitchen. And, and then off the kitchen, there was a, had been a big room built. Uh, it was quite a large room um, that, oh gosh, it looked like it might have been by about 40 by 40 foot, probably about 40 foot square and maybe 50 foot square and the had black and white tile on the floor and then the funny thing about it to get to the master bedroom you had to go out the door and the master bedroom was completely cut off from the rest of the house you had to go outside to get to it and the, the, so we went and he showed us the master bedroom and everything in there and then we went on back and, and we went in the living room and he played the piano for a while and all the time I'm saying, Elvis, I gotta go to work in the morning. I gotta go to work in the morning. I'm gonna get you back, I'm gonna get you back. So finally we stayed up there about an hour and a half and we left and um, headed back to Memphis. We got back to Memphis at 5.30 the next morning. And Katie lay down on one of the long bench-like things there and take a nap. And it was it was padded, so it was soft. And and uh, she had a pillow. And Elvis wanted me to lay down and take a nap. Well, I laid down, but I never did go to sleep. And and he uh, went up and didn't have a pillow either. And so he went up to where the guys were and had one of the guys take their jacket off and came back and put it under my head for a pillow. So we finally got back to Memphis at 5.30 or quarter to six and got out to Graceland. I went in and took a quick shower and dressed and went downstairs. Charlie Hodge had fixed my, mine and Katie's breakfast for us. And we had breakfast and got in my car and I drove on to work and then Katie took my car and went on home. And I worked all day that day. I'd been awake all night. I'd been awake since Sunday morning. Oh my goodness. Monday morning. So I worked all day and I went home and cooked dinner for Bob and Katie and I. We ate and I headed out to Graceland again. And so I hadn't been in the room more than, up in Lisa's room, more than 10 minutes. I let him know I was there. He came down the hallway snapping his fingers and, and uh, just feeling his oats and uh, came in and I was standing there with the blood pressure cuff in my hand and he said, how you doing? <laughs> I said, I have not had any sleep since yesterday morning, six o'clock. So I took his blood pressure, I gave him his blood pressure medicine and I said, now I'm going to tell you something. 
I want you to turn around. I want you to walk right back down that hall to your room and call the kitchen and get you something to eat because I'm going to bed. <laughs> do not come in here and call me and wake me up unless it's a matter of life and death. <laughs> and you do that because he wasn't paying you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. And he turned around and walked right back out of that room and down that hall. And I didn't see him anymore that night <laughs> or the next morning when I got up and went to work and Charlie Hodge had my breakfast cooked for me when I got downstairs. Well, mm -hmm. oh, no, Miss Cock, what the hell did y'all do yesterday? And I said, ask me what we didn't do and I can tell you better. Right. Yeah, it might be easier <laughs> to say what we didn't do. I <laughs> know. Uh, so I got in my car and went on back to work, but I had a good night's sleep. Wow, <laughs> finally, finally after right, the, That's right. After your marathon but, trip out very, to... Elvis was very, very spontaneous. You know, we were almost killed on a, on a three-wheeler. Uh, called me one afternoon. I just got home from work. Bob came out. He said, "Elvis, yeah, what's wrong? He, he wants to talk to you right away." And I said, "What's the matter? What's the matter?" And he said, "I don't know." And so, walked in the house and picked up the phone. I said, "What's the matter, honey?" And he said, "Can you come on out here now?" And I said, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" Oh no, I got something I want to show you. And I said, and "He said I really need you to come on out here." And uh, I said, "Well, okay." And so I told Bob, I said, I don't know what the heck's going on. He just wants me to come right on out there. I don't know what's wrong. And he said, well, get your stuff and go on. So I did and got out there. And, and uh, Bob said, don't worry about Katie and me. When she gets home, we'll go up to the cafeteria and have dinner. So I go on out to Graceland, and he's bought three three-wheelers. And uh, he said, I want to take you for a ride on my three-wheeler. No, oh dear. And I said, uh, a three-wheeler? And he said, yep, it's not a motorcycle, it's a three-wheeler. And I said, okay. So we go downstairs, and there's four guys downstairs. Billy Smith was one of them. I don't remember who the others were. Um, Billy's wife, I think, was there. I'm not sure. Somebody rode behind him. Anyway, Elvis said, this is my bike here, and you get on this seat right here behind me. And he said, you just put your arms around me and hold on. And I said, that won't be a problem. <laughs> so we went out the main gate on those three wheelers. And, of course, the crowd was just hooping and hollering. And we turned to the right and went down to Dolan Street and turned to the right again. Well, back then... Whitehaven was not built up like it is now. So there were two or three blocks of homes there, but then it was mostly open field. So we were flying along, and I mean, he had that thing wide open. And all of a sudden, he slammed the brakes on. And had I not really grabbed on real tight, I would have just flipped right over his head. And some car, he had run, he was about to run, well, he did run the stop sign. And this lady and a little boy were in the car, and she had slammed her brakes on to keep from hitting us. And the little boy was right up at the windshield, his eyes just as big as saucers. Mom was draped over the steering wheel, and Elvis turned around and looked at me, and he said, 
son of a bitch, we almost got hit. And I said, uh-huh, and let's go back to the house. Right. <laughs> so he took off, and we went on back. We got uh, E.P. Boulevard, and we were going down E.P. Boulevard, and I was holding on to dear life, and we turned and went on up in the house. Well, the next morning when I went to work, one of my staff from one of my floors said, I had four floors by then, said, Miss Cock, did I see you on E.P. Boulevard yesterday holding on to Elvis Presley up behind the, on a three-wheel? And I, all I said was, do you think I'm crazy? And I said it just that way. And I told that story at the Mafia Union one night. So some woman smart-ass out in the audience said, so you lied. And you know, I, I didn't even dignify it by answering it. I didn't even dignify it by answering it. I just said, do you think I'm crazy? Mm -hmm. I can either confirm nor deny that I was. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. I neither confirmed nor denied. <laughs> now, Marion, how long did it take you to realize you should probably not get in any more vehicles that Elvis wants you to get into? <laughs> well, you know, one night he decided we wanted we were going for a ride, and um, I said, "Okay, in your car or mine." And that particular night, he said, well, I want to drive your car and see what it'll do. Because it was a white Grand Prix that he had given me. Mm. And um, so we took off, just the two of us, and went for a ride. Get over here. I'll take off. Come on. Maggie wants some attention. Oh. <laughs> so we took off, and he got on the expressway, and he really opened that car up to see what she would do. And I said, if you're satisfied now, can we get off at the next exit and go back to the house? And uh, he drove on for a few minutes, and then we went on back to the house. He really wanted to see what it could do, and he found out it was would, would really go pretty darn fast. I said, what are you going to do if we get arrested? And um, and then he, but he was so spontaneous. You know, you never really knew exactly what to expect until it happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was just, well, he was really something else. Well, and I, I love that you've written down some of your memories, too, so we should mention that really quick. Um, I well, know you, yeah, I want to tell you this about that, though, Krista. Mm -hmm. You know, after Elvis died, he'd been gone about six weeks, and I said to Bob, we were on our way to church one Sunday, and I said, you know, it just seems so strange not to be going to Graceland anymore. And he said, well, you know what you should do before you, um, before you get too old to remember, you need to write down what you uh, remember about Elvis so that you can, um, you can, you can um, remember, when you get too old to remember, so you can take so you could go back mm -hmm. and read what you've written down mm -hmm. and i thought well that that might be a pretty good idea so i did over about a two or three month period and went through one um um one book with him and then had to get another one and um so he um uh, Bob had gotten me the books, and, and uh, so I had written it all down. And after I finished it, uh, I put it in my camper chest. 
and left it so that when I got too old to remember, um, I could go back and read it. Mm-hmm. And um, so he he said, okay, so that's what, that's what I did. Yeah, and that was all you thought would happen. And then one day somebody said to you about a book. Well, that was Vernon, his dad. Yes. And um, so Vernon had been in the hospital, and he um, let me know he was there. He was just there for for studies. And so he thought he was going home the next day, and he'd come in the the night before. And so he he called me, and I went up to his room, and I said, how are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm okay, Miss Cock. He said, you know, he said, it just bothers me about all these bad books coming out about my son. And I said, well, Vernon, I'm going to be very honest and tell you that I've written down my memories of your son, but I didn't do them for publication. I've got two notebooks in my camper chest at home. And I told him how I came to do it. And he said, would you bring them and let me read them? And I said, of course, I'll let you read it. And so I got home that afternoon and went in and I told Bob, I said, I got to get those two notebooks out of my camper chest. Vernon wants to see them. He's in the hospital and he's probably going home tomorrow. So I took him up to his room the next morning and left him and not knowing what time he was going home. And so two or three days later, I got a call from him. And he said, uh, Miss Cock, can you come out to see me this afternoon? And I said, sure, are you doing okay? And he said, yeah. He said, I'd just like for you to come out have a cup of coffee with me and visit with me for a little while. And he said, I really would like to talk to you. And I said, okay. So I called home and I told Bob, I said, I'm going to be a little late. Vernon called me and want me to come out. <clears throat> he wanted to, to talk to me. So I got out there and he was living in the house on Dolan Street. He had moved out of Graceland. <clears throat> he was living in the house on Dolan Street. and. And um, we had a cup of coffee and visited, and his nurse companion was there. He said, I want you to pick up the two notebooks, and he said, I want you to do something for me. And I said, well, I'll do anything for you I can. And he said, I want you to have this published. I said, oh, Vernon, I can't do that, honey. I I can't do that. And he said, why can't you? And I said, well, I didn't take any money from your son when he was living. I'm not going to take any from him now that he's dead. And he said, forget about the damn money. I want people to know the Elvis that you know. Mm-hmm. And that's important to me. Yeah. And I said, well, <laughs> if I can find the place to put the money, I'll do it. But I just can't take take money from, from him now that he's gone. And... Uh, so I did. I looked around for a while, and finally I had met someone from the University of Memphis. Some guy up east wanted to, to co-write it with me, and I wouldn't let him because <laughs> I knew it wouldn't be my book. Right. And uh, I told him no. Actually, he did write a book later, and he had quoted some of the stuff that, from my book that he had taken out of it. Hmm. But um, anyway, uh, University of Memphis printed it. But they said, now, you got to change some of this verbiage in here. You can't use hell or damn it. <laughs> or some <laughs> ass with, uh, with this being done by the university. And so 
we did. We we altered those three words to something to to something else and oh gosh or gee or something like that or instead of saying son of a bitch we always got creamed and and uh instead of saying ass we said butt and uh instead of saying hell we said heck and instead of saying damn we said darn and uh so anyway university of memphis published it and as soon as um it was put out that I had written this book and it was being published. I was in the nursing office, in the vice president's office in a meeting, and got a call, the operator paging me, and and so she told me to go ahead and take my call, and it was New York City calling me from Good Morning America. And David Hartman wanted to interview me the next day on Good Morning America. And I didn't know what to say. And uh, my boss was sitting right there. And I told her, and she said, go ahead. I could tell she wasn't happy. Go ahead. (laughs) Don't say anything to anyone about it. So anyway, I told him I could come. And then I get a call right away from the University of Memphis. And they already had booked airline reservations for me, and someone was going with me from the University of Memphis, Memphis State then. Right. And so Bob got me out to the airport, and I met the, the lady that was going with me to, to fly up there. I had already met her. I knew her. And we got on the plane, and um, I was sitting in the middle, and there was a young man on one side of me, and, and Earlene was sitting by the window. And... Um, Earlene, the, the guy said, what are you ladies going to New York for? And I wasn't, I wasn't saying anything. And Earlene said, oh, she's going to be on Good Morning America in the morning with John, with, um, I think it was David Hartman. And um, he said, wow, what for? And she said, well, she was Elvis's nurse. And so she hadn't really said it very loud, but he got up and left the seat in just a little bit and told a flight attendant and apparently she told everybody on the plane so then she came to see what we wanted for dinner and she said we have a lasagna for dinner but she looked at me and she said you can have a steak and I said I really would rather have the lasagna and so uh, we went on to New York and then we got off the plane and a young girl came up to me and she, she just took my arm and she was crying she said thank you for taking care of him uh-huh. And uh, we went on. There was a limo there to pick us up, to take us to the hotel. And um, then there was a limo there the next morning to take us to the studio. And I was on with David Hartman. And I just had a little notebook in my hand. And he did the interview. And after it was over, I said, Would you autograph this for me? And he wrote on it with admiration and respect. David Hartman wrote it to me, he put my name on it with admiration and respect, David Hartman. Nice. And um, then the 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 limo took us on out to the airport, and we left and came on back home. Well, my boss had told me, she said, do not let anybody in this building know where you're going. And I said, okay. So she said, you have my permission to leave now. Well, I had to, to get home, to get ready to go. And I had called Bob in the meantime, told him I was coming in to get out an overnight bag for me. And so I uh, 
left the building without saying a word to a soul. And the next morning, uh, she called a meeting with all of the uh, supervisors, the administrative supervisors and the assistant directors and all in the boardroom. And um, no, she didn't call the supervisors, just the administrative supervisors, assistant directors and her. And uh, everybody wondered what the meeting was about. And she told them that I had been flown to New York the night before and was going to be on the David Hartman show. And she said, and when we finish in here, we're going to the studio and we're going to see the film. We, I've asked the hospital to film it, to copy it. So they did. And so then she took them all to the studio after they had uh, knew that it would be on. And, and uh, so everybody got to see it that was in there. And, they, and she said, they said, well, she didn't say anything about it. And she said she wasn't supposed to. I told her not to. <laughs> she did take him in to, to see the interview. And uh, so that was sort of a neat, fun thing yeah, to do. Uh, Geraldo had wanted me to be on his show, and I would not. And that guy in New York uh, with all the fuzzy hair, he's on uh, one of these talent shows as a judge once in a while. I can't remember his name. But he had a bad reputation for using a lot of nasty language on Howard television. Stern. Are you talking about Howard Stern? Yeah, Howard Stern. Okay. And I can't tell you how many times they called me and wanted me to go on. And at the time, we had two men that did a radio show here every morning here, and I can't remember their names, but they were two really nice men. And I called both of them. I called them at the studio one day and told them that um, Howard Stern had been trying to get me and I said, I, from what I hear, he has a bad reputation. They said, Miss Cox, don't do it. Mm -hmm. They said, don't do it. So I asked them, I said, what's your favorite dessert? And one of them said apple pie and the other one said, I forgot what the other one said. But anyway, one morning, I, early that morning, I showed up at their studio and I had their favorite desserts that each of them said was their favorite dessert. And I said, here, I brought you guys something. But, Sounds uh, like someone else uh, back there likes apple pie too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, we need to be wrapping it up. Your doggies probably need your attention. Um, but well, I wanted, to, I wanted to give you a minute to talk about your Elvis Presley Memorial dinners because this is a very big thing. It's been a big part of your life for the, almost thirty it really years. Has. Okay. You know, uh, it took me a long time to. I, I really never have gotten over it, but it took me a long time to be able to really stop and think about what I wanted to do. And I knew I wanted to do something that would show the type of man that Elvis really was. And that because he was a very, very giving man. And I wanted to do something that would, would um, be a tribute to him. And this friend of mine from New Jersey, from God rest her soul, she was a little Italian lady, and she stayed with me every year, and she said, why don't you do a dinner? I said, oh, for heaven's sakes, I'm a nurse. I've never put on big dinners like this. And I said, I wouldn't even know how to start. She said, well, learn. <laughs> and, um, so I called the Peabody, and there was a very nice lady there um, named um, her Nancy Jarrett. 
that I spoke to, and uh, I asked her if I could come down and talk to her, and she said yes, and I went down to see her and told her, you know, what I was thinking about and what had been suggested, and she said, well, I'll help you with it, and I said, I've never done anything like this, and she said, well, you just tell me what you want, and I'll take care of it. So I said, uh, told her what I wanted, and um, she said, well, how many people do you want us to put you down for? And I said, I don't have a clue. And um, so we talked about it for two or three months before we really reached the decision to go ahead and do it. And uh, I said, well, maybe a couple of hundred or 250, something like that. Does that sound reasonable? And she said, yeah, that's a good start. Well, we put it down and started advertising that we were going to do one with plenty of time. You know, it wasn't something that was going to be next month. It was going to be like three or four months down the road. Right. So there was an employee that worked at Graceland that I knew, and she said, oh, I'll put this in our bulletin, and it will go out to all the fan clubs, and everybody will see it. And I want to be a part of this and help you. And so, first of all, she never... It never came out in the bulletin, and secondly, um, she helped me some, um, not really too much, but some, and she was she was helpful in a lot of ways. But anyway, um, the tickets were sold from a charitable organization here in town, and. Um, but the secretary, and um, we didn't really sell but 85 tickets because it was never advertised. Right. It was the best kept secret in town. <laughs> and then even she told me that the that her boss came in and took four tickets that he didn't pay for. And so that, you know, that was 89 people then. And uh, George Klein was there. At the very first one, and he had to go do a radio show, but he did make an introduction, and he, he came on, and he, you know, talked for a few minutes, and, and then and then left, and had a fabulous dinner, and had some entertainment, and uh, everybody really enjoyed themselves, and the food was was delicious, and um, we were twenty five hundred dollars in debt because of the tickets we had projected selling and didn't sell but 85 or 89. And so this organization was very unhappy with me. I was a part of it. They were very unhappy with me. And because they said, we went into this venture with you, which they had done nothing to help. Right. And um, we were expected to make money, not lose money. So I said, um, I'm really sorry, but I did the best I could. And I started working on dinner for the next year because the 85 people that were there went out and told everybody else what they missed. So this organization said, well, we are not going to be a part of anything else that you do, but we do want the money from it. Of course. And so, like an idiot, I went ahead and did it for about five years, just giving them the money for it. But the next year, we had 
350 people there. The next year we had about 500 people there. And the next thing you knew, we were filling up the dining room. And so I had made some pictures along the way and um, was giving this organization all the money. And I went to a convention thing out in uh, Phoenix, Arizona and um, was showing the pictures around. So by the, I had been the president of the organization and then, then someone else, we usually stayed in one or two years and I preferred to stay only one. And so then a man took over and he was at this same thing. And so I was resting in my room one day and somebody knocked on my door and I got up and went to the door and it was this man. And he said, can I talk to you for a little bit? And I said, sure, come on in. And I went back over and stretched back out, out on, my, on my bed. And I said, here's the chair you can sit in. And he said, I wonder how I was doing, blah, blah, this, and, you know, this, that, and the other. He said, he noticed the pictures on the table. And he picked a couple of the pictures up. And he said, this is what I came to talk to you about. And I said, oh. And he said, yeah. And he said, now that you have made this a success, we want you to give it to us. And I said, you what? <laughs> we want you to give it to us now that you have made it a success. Right. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I told him. I called him by name and I said, you see that bush out there? He said, yep. I said, you go out there and piss up that bush and that's as fast as you're going to get this dinner. <laughs> And I said, I'm not giving you my dinner. Well, now, we'll let you be on the committee. We'll let you do this. We'll let you do that. We'll let you do the other. And I said, yes, and I will let you out that door. Wow. I said, you are not getting my dinner. I said, you guys did not support me. You did not help me in any shape, form, and fashion. The only thing you wanted was the money. And I said, I will tell you furthermore that from this day forward, we will be sharing the money with other organizations. That's and great. that's exactly. So he went out the door. And that was the last I had anything to do with this organization. Um, we, were, we did have a dinner coming up the next month. And I, uh, as I, I did go ahead and give them the money from that. And... Uh, so they said, and I told them, I said, I'm, I'm done. And they said, well, think about it. And said, just let us hear from you by the 1st of February. That's when we have our, when we have our, uh, we set our, set our budget. And I said, well, if you get a letter from me by the 1st of February that I'm going to donate to you, then I will donate to you. But if you don't get that letter, you'll know you're not getting another dime from me. And they never have. Good. Well, they shouldn't. They they absolutely should not. And I had raised and given them over $150,000. Oh, my goodness. So all in all, would you say it's in the hundreds of thousands or the millions that you've helped raise for charity? We've, we've given over a million. Wow. Unbelievable. Oh. Man, that's fantastic. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. And uh, it's gone to... Uh, that organization, it's gone to cerebral palsy, to um, Special Olympics, it's gone to uh, the Humane Society, to the Trauma Center, 
to uh, Baptist for indigent patient care and to Baptist for uh, um, nursing education. And we've given to various organizations in town. We just started splitting. I said Elvis gave to more than one, and we're going to start giving to more than one, too. Right. I love that. And I know there's already talks, there's things in the works for 2018, and we'll definitely keep our listeners and our readers up to date, just like we did for the last one. So we're looking it's forward to it. It's going to be on Monday, the 13th of August, and it will be at 7 o'clock in the dining room at the guest house. Wow. And it will be formal. Now, um, You've had these quite a few times on August the 13th. Is there a reason you chose that date or just happens? No, it it's just a sort of a good halfway date. Okay. And, um, but there's no specific reason. And um, I think maybe our first one was probably on August the 13th. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, I have had several on August the 13th, but it's sort of an in-between date. And... Um, uh, it's real. I have to tell you this story. There was a actor from um, Hollywood that had been actually Bob knew him. He had been in the service with Bob, and uh, but he decided that he was going to come to Memphis and he was going to put on a benefit of some sort, and the following year, and so he um, put it on. He called Graceland and told him that he was going. He wanted to do this. This. This show, he was not going to do a benefit, he was going to do a show, and he gave him the same date that I had my dinner. And she told him, she said, this is the night that Marion does her dinner, and you might want to choose another night. And he told her, and the person at Grayson told me this, and said that he told her, oh no, Memphis is big enough that it'll take care of both of us. And so he went ahead and planned for his the same night as mine. Well, I had a packed house. We were up in the Skyway, and we had a packed house. And they told me that he had enough people to fill most of the first row. Oh, wow. At the Cannon Center. Wow. And the next day was the President's Luncheon. That's when they used to have a President's Luncheon. And we went out to the Hilton. It was the Hilton then, I forgot what it's called, at the big round hotel right off the expressway at Poplar. And we went out there for this luncheon, and so I, they asked me to come up on the stage and speak and tell them what we had raised, and so I did, and we raised about $23,000, and, and uh, he told me later, he said, well, he said, you certainly did outdo me, and I said, well, you know, I've... I had that booked long before you, you booked your date. And he said, well, I just thought Memphis was big enough that we could accommodate him. And I know that DJ Fontana, bless his heart, had, had told the guy he would, he would play in the band. And so when I went to the Mafia reunion two or three days later, DJ said, I, I'm going to your dinner next year. And I said, well, that's good. <laughs> You know, what are you there? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Playing for nobody. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I love DJ Fontana. He's such a great man. And Karen, his wife, is just such a great lady. They're wonderful, wonderful friends. Oh, well, after the show, maybe you can give us his number and we'll call him next. <laughs> well, okay. I, I have I have his number because his son David uh, and I played in a band for 
quite a while. So we want to thank you so much, Miss Mary, for your time. It's it's we've been talking over an hour now, so you've just been so generous, and we really appreciate it. And um, just appreciate what you do, and you continue to do, and we hope you'll keep in touch. And if you ever, you know, want to send us an article or anything like that, we'd love to have it. We'll put it up on the website, and we'll definitely let everybody know how they can get your fantastic book, your audio CD book, and your hour-long DVD. We'll make sure to let everybody know how they can get that. Okay, well, thank you, and I have enjoyed every minute of this. Thank you so much. It was our pleasure. Thank you. Very great. Well, thank you so much, Mary. We'd also like to thank Lee Douglas of Old Time Rock and Roll, always found at www.oldtimernr.com for converting our show to iTunes. We appreciate you, Lee. Be sure to check out Lee's fantastic site and listen to his weekly shows, all oldies music with no commercials. TCB Radio Network is strictly a fan publication not affiliated in any way with Elvis Presley Enterprises or any of its affiliates or subsidiaries. Please visit us online at tcbradionetwork.com. All trademarks, product names, company names, and logos mentioned are the properties of their respective owners. All opinions stated within do not necessarily reflect the opinions of anyone else and certainly not Elvis Presley Enterprises. Still the King, our theme song for TCB Radio Network podcast, was written by Shane Douglas, produced by Terry Fullwider at Blue Spot Studios, and performed by Peter Alden and his band, Crown Electric Company, featuring David Fontana, son of Elvis Presley's original drummer, DJ Fontana, on drums. And Elvis Presley is still the king. Well, he's good.